We're in 1 Peter uh, 1 and... Or verse 2, which says, Peter, well, sorry, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling of his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Well, we had gone through, um, you know, meeting Pete. We had gone through who he's speaking to, who, how these people had come to Christ at Pentecost. Now they're gone back uh, as strangers to their little world, uh, to their little spots in the world, pilgrims of this dispersion. Okay, and and so what has happened is, is then we went into last week about how we are elect. What does elect mean? Chosen, chosen. means we're chosen. Accord, according to God's foreknowledge. Okay, that we're chosen. He knew. Because he's omniscient, it's part of his omniscience. He knew before the creation of time who would respond to him and who would what? Reject Reject him, right? And who would reject him, okay? That's not that he doesn't want everyone to come to him. He says in 2 Peter, he didn't want anybody to perish. God so loved the world, okay? But he also gave us a what? Free choice. choice. A will. He gave us a will, okay? He gave human beings a will. In fact... Uh, when I was, when I was, um, it was it was Sunday, and Becca was leading worship down in the ignition area uh, for the high school kids at Cross Point. And hey, Gladys, and and the gentleman who was standing in for Brian met, was talking about voices that you hear, and he talked about uh, this <coughs> in the garden, <coughs> and how in the garden. Imagine Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day with God, right before sin. I mean, they're just naked as a jaybird, right? Walking along, having a gas, no sin, absolutely perfect, walking with God. <clears throat> and, and then God removes himself from the garden, okay? He removes himself, the presence of God, from the garden. So he's not like hovering over them, okay? But he gives them some rules, Right, just like we do with our kids, right? You share rules and this, 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 but you don't stand over them like this constantly, right? He he brings it back and he allows them to choose. Okay, there's the free choice. There's the free will that we had. And he gave them just one rule. Don't eat of this one. And it, because it's for your protection. Now he didn't say that, but he just all he needed to say is, Hey, you know me, you've known me all this time. I'm it, it if you know me, you know it'd be for your protection. Don't eat this one. Okay, and so Satan comes along and tempts, and Eve, of course, you know, gives in and then gives to her husband, and he he as well takes. Okay, what that shows us is how, when God's presence, He allows instead of hovering over, He allows you to have this free will. He allows you to make a choice. Okay, and their choice was what. Disobey. Their choice was, oh no, he couldn't possibly meant this. You know what? I need to know as much as God. I'll just take this, right? Their choice, and it and it seemed, you guys, if you read that that verse again or the verses, it seems so easy. It seemed almost too easy, didn't it? You know, because that's how we're made, right? Just think about your kids. Okay, when you're around, okay, and this is, means your character. This is, this is your character. When you were around as their personal Holy Spirit, okay, and as their personal little disciplined person, they tend not to disobey in front of you. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, you remove your presence from that room, right? You remove your presence from, you know, they're at school, they're wherever, okay? But you've put into them, these are the way to live. These are the rules. This is what we should be, okay? This is how we're made. And still, that self-will goes, can't make me. Don't wanna. Right? And you hear, and what happens is because your very presence is not there, now they rely on what? Themselves. Right, themselves. Themselves. And they're going down. Right? And they're going down. It's exactly what happened in the garden. That's exactly what happened in the garden. And if it wouldn't have been Adam and Eve, it would have been Brian and Margot. It would have been Glenn and Doris. Okay, that's who it would have been. Because we're made with self-will. And so he foreknows us. 
okay? And he foreknows us, elect according to his foreknowledge, knowing who's going to respond to him and who's not going to respond to him. Okay, so that's the doctrine of election. It's not hard. It's very easy. We make it hard, okay? Doctrine of election, all right, from Romans 8, 29, uh, which I believe we read last week. Didn't we at least? Okay, all right. That doctrine of election. Okay, so, so with that, the doctrine of election, as you go on through the verse, it says, you know, it, you know uh, according to his foreknowledge, in sanctification of the Spirit... For obedience. So now we've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in that one verse, okay? So in sanctification, we're, we're chosen so that we can be sanctified. And who sanctifies us? Who makes us more and more holy? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Excellent. For obedience. Okay? We're sanctified by the Spirit for obedience. Okay? For obedience. All right. So, and we left it as... You know, many of us like to think that election only has to do with going to heaven or going to hell. Okay, many of us like to say, oh, you know what, that's all what election has to do with. However, Peter reminds us that election touches earth also. Because it's for what? Obedience. It's for obedience. It's sanctification. It's for obedience, okay? If we claim to be elect, okay, and most of us do here, if we claim to be elect, and then we don't have any evidence of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Christ, Romans 8 says, to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, okay? If we're not becoming more and more like Christ and becoming more obedient, it's doubtful that you're elect. Okay? Are you following? It's very doubtful that you're elect, okay? Now, as we're elect, because as we're becoming sanctified by the Spirit and obeying, guess what? We are not perfect, are we? No, so it had to include the sprinkling of blood. blood. Excellent. The sprinkling of Jesus' blood, okay? So we all fall short of, of sanctification and obedience, but there's a cleansing, cleansing of the sin, okay, of us, uh, provided through us through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, of which I asked you to look up three Old Testament verses last week. Because there are three circumstances in the Old Testament where blood was sprinkled on people. And this is a foreknowing of what Jesus Christ will do. Okay? And so the first one was Exodus 24, uh, 5 through 8. Okay? Exodus 24, 5 through 8. So look that up because I want to spend a few minutes there. Because this, this is at the establishment of the Old Covenant. Okay? Did some of you have a chance to be able to read that? Because it is an amazing... You know, I will just read this so we can see what it is. All right? Uh, let me read... What did I write down? Five through eight. You know what? I'm just going to start at one. This is the, the Old Covenant. This is Moses, okay? With, with, with God. Yahweh God. Okay? Then he said to Moses... Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nabed, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood, put it in bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Okay? It's L-O-R-D, all caps. What does that mean? Yahweh. Yahweh. 
personal name of Jesus, of God, right? Personal name. Jehovah, personal name. In fact, they couldn't even utter his name. They would usually just write it. Okay? They would just write it. Now, I want you to see here about the establishment of this. This is a time of the sprinkling of the blood, and I want you to see the parallel to Christ. Okay? Because this is very important. All right? In verses 1 through 3, what he's talking about here is Moses is relating all the words of the Lord and all the judgments to Israel. Okay? This is what he's going to be relating. Okay? And what happens is. He says, you know, um, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, high priest, and these guys, okay, and 70 um, elders of Israel. So, before this, in Exodus 20 through 22, God has just been speaking directly to Moses. Just directly to Moses. Nobody else is invited. At this point, the Lord is inviting not only Moses, but the high priest and 70 of the elders of Israel, okay, to come up. Okay, so now he's opening up. He's revealing himself to even more. Okay, personal God, all right? So so now others are coming up the mountain. Okay, now I want you guys to visualize this, all right, with Moses, okay? But Moses alone was the only one who was to come near. They could come with him, but Moses was the appointed one to come near, okay? Moses was allowed special access to God. Special access to God, okay? So God would speak to Moses, okay? And then Moses then would speak to... The rest of us. The nation. The rest of us, okay? All right. So, Moses obeyed. Moses Moses came and told the people the words of the Lord, all the judgments, you know, of Israel. And when the people heard this, what did they do? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We we hear your words. We will obey all of them. Every single... This so reminds me of Tori. I'm telling you. Every time she'd do something wrong when she was real little, she's sixth grade, but when she'd write, just starting to write, she'd say, Dear Mommy, I am so sorry I lied or I'm so sorry, whatever it is. I will never do that again. Underline. Never. I will obey everything. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, oh. The intentions are really good here, Tori. You know? And this is what... The Israelites are doing, okay, right? So the people heard this, you know, and they responded in complete agreement, all right? Not one person said no, all right? All the people answered in one voice, all right? They verbally agreed to obey the Lord, verbally, all right? All the words which the Lord said, has said we will do, the words, all right? So now, yeah, but I love how he said that because Israel, you know, is perhaps tremendously guilty of overconfidence, Right? Just like Tori was. Right? Oh, absolutely. I'll be everything. I'll never do that again. Right? Because, quite frankly, that's the only right response, isn't it? It's the only right response. Think about Peter when he was restored. When, when Jesus, in John 21, he walked along with him and he said, You know, Peter, do you love me? Well, I love you. Well, do you really love me? Oh, of course I love you. I mean, Peter, do you really, truly love me? All the different loves. And then he's hurt. Right? Peter knew that the only right answer is to say, yes. yes, of course I love you. Okay? Just like the Israelites knew that the only right answer to say in this obedience is yes. Okay? And so it's very easy to say, oh, yes, God, we're going to keep your law. Verbally, isn't it? Very easy to say verbally, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to keep, I'll, I'll do that. This is my promise. That's what I'll do. Very easy to verbalize something like that. All right? And so, <clears throat> and what it really shows is a lack of appreciation and respect for for God's law. It really shows that they didn't really quite understand everything. And so, you know, this nation, you have to remember that this nation had been terrified by God's awesome presence at Sinai. You have to remember that. This is, you know, you have to remember that they're like, whoa, you know, it's burning and, and you know, on the mount and they're, they're like terrified at God's presence. Okay? At Sinai. So, you know, they were absolutely in no other state of mind other than to agree with God. God says this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I can just see them, you know, just jumping. Mass appeal, right? Absolutely we're going to do that, all right? So, in verses 4 through 8, the nation then confirms their covenant with God. They're confirming their covenant. And what happens is, not only is Moses verbalizing it, but now he's writing down the words of the Lord, right? Did we read that? He's writing down. He wrote all the words of the Lord, okay? 24-3, Israel verbally agreed, okay, to a covenant relationship with the Lord. 
Now they are going to agree, okay, that that's not simply good enough for that, but there must be specific things that they must do to confirm that covenant with God, okay? And first of all, the word had to be written down, okay? It goes from verbal to being written down, okay? So it's being written down. So Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, all right? And, and so... And the reason he did that is because we, we can't leave God's word up to recollection. We can't leave God's word up to loose thinking. We can't, you know, leave God's word up to that. It had to be written down. Okay? And so, um, when I was studying this, even in um, Habakkuk, uh, verse two, uh, 2, verse 2, it says, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets. That he may run who reads it. Okay, so it, it, so it needs to be written down. All right, now keep following me on this, all right? All right, so Moses wrote down the words of the Lord, and he offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Okay, verbal, you know, first the nod of the head, then verbal, then written, and now what? Written confirmation, then sacrificial acts. Right? Now they're sacrificial acts, alright? So the covenant that God is making is only made in the context of sacrifice. Did you hear me? The covenant that God is making, that God has made, is only made in the context of sacrifice. Sacrifice admits our own sin and failing before God. And it addresses the need for the death of a substitute for the atonement of our sins. Okay, I want you to see how important this is. The sprinkling of the blood has always been the way of the covenant. Whether it's the old covenant or the new covenant. It's always been about, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, Hebrews says. It's always been about that. Whether it's Old Testament, the way God made his covenant, or New Testament, who Jesus is our new covenant. Because sacrifice admits our own sin, our own failings before God, okay? And then addresses that we have an absolute need for a substitute, right? We have a need of a death of a substitute. Can't, can't be anywhere else. Can't be anywhere else. Okay, it's always been that way before time. It will always be that way until we see him face to face and our salvation is complete. Okay, and so he took, Moses took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. Okay, so he did that. Okay, and the covenant is made when God's word is heard and the people would respond to it. Okay, this is a part of election. It's heard, he's choosing you, but you must what? You must receive. It's a gift. You must respond. You must respond to this, okay? All right, so the covenant is made when God's word is heard and responded to. Okay, that's how the covenant's made. It can't be made anywhere else, else, okay? And our covenant is based on, with God, our covenant with God is based on his words his terms, period. You don't go, oh, I was thinking it could be this way, Lord. <laughs> uh, wrong. I'm God, you're not, and this is a perfect plan. Right? This is what I have. I love you. This is how it's going to work its way out. This is it. And I'm a holy God. I am separate. I'm inviting you into my separateness. I'm inviting you into my otherness. I can't be a superman because that's not who I am. I am so other. I created you in my image. But guess what? I'm inviting you into my separateness through this covenant. This covenant that you nod to, that you verbalize to, verbal agreement that there's written confirmation to, and now there are sacrificial acts to, and you need to respond then to all of that. Okay? You need to step over the line. You need to respond to all of that. Okay? So, you know, basically, that's the definition of election through the old covenant. Okay? Right? The covenant with the chosen people... Okay, and then, you know, our individual response to him. Covenant, our individual response. That makes the full covenant. Okay, and so, 
Moses takes this book of the covenant. It's God's terms, God's way, okay? And then there needs to be a response to God's word. All right? So it says, all that the Lord has said, we will do. There was their response. All that the Lord has said, we will do, and we will be obedient, okay? And, you know, just as much as God isn't going to negotiate his covenant with Israel, neither is he going to force it upon them. Right? Same with us. He's not going to negotiate his covenant. It's not like, Lord, you know, I was thinking I could come to you this way. He says, no, 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 this is it. Okay? But if you don't want to come that way, I'm a gentleman. I'm not going to force it on you. I'm going to always go after you. I'm always the hound of heaven. I will always love you. I will always reveal myself to you. But I'm not going to force it on you. You can respond to it. And I make it so you can respond very easily. I show myself all the time. I show myself in creation, in circumstances, the word of God, other people, body of Christ. I show myself all the time. But you need to respond to it, okay? And so I'm not going to force it upon you. You have a free will. And you need to freely respond. Or not. Or not, okay? So Moses then takes the blood. He takes the blood, and what does he do with it? He sprinkles it on what? On the people. He sprinkles it on the people, okay? All right, so here it is, okay? You go from what? Nodding, you know, in agreement to a verbal, yeah, okay, to a written confirmation, to sacrificial acts, to response, right? To the receiving of that covenant because it's sealed with the blood. It's sealed with the blood. Are you following this? You guys, this is, this is, I've been reading this for a couple weeks now and, and really studying. This is, this is such, such comfort. This is such, it's always been that way. I mean, but they really had to go through a lot of, of obedient acts. Ours is just by grace that you're saved through faith, right? I mean, we're able to say, oh, thank you, Lord, but look at what went on before us. They always believed through faith, always. Look at Hebrews 11, the big hall of faith chapter. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, you always, always came into a covenant relationship with God through faith, no matter if it was Old Testament or New Testament. And so Moses takes the blood, sprinkles it on the people, okay, and the covenant is made by the application of the blood. Okay? Okay. And as the nation received the blood of the covenant, all right, what happens is the covenant then is sealed. The covenant is sealed by the blood. That's it. Done deal. Sealed. Covenant is sealed by the blood. All right. Nothing magical about blood. Okay? Nothing magical about blood. But because it represents the life of the being. It's the life of the being. If you go to Leviticus 17.11, Leviticus 17.11, read, read to me what it says about blood. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. There you go. Where is the life of the creature? In the blood. In the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. The blood represents the outpouring of life. Okay? Of one life being given for another life. I just want to take you like a thousand years later, okay? Here's Moses. Now let's go a thousand years later to Zechariah. Zechariah 9.11, okay? Because a thousand years later, God doesn't forget the blood of this covenant, okay? Remember, he's not like a little old grandpa sitting up in heaven and going, oh, what's going on? All of our misconceptions that we have. He knows his covenant. He never forgets his promise and his covenant. And what does he say about this one, Lisa? As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I have set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. He continues to reinforce that it's because of the blood of your covenant. The blood, the life-giving stream, blood of the covenant, okay? Now, go forward to Matthew 26, 28. Go to the New Testament. 26, 28. And what does the blood of this covenant say? Well, should I start at 27? Sure, sure. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it, offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. My blood, Jesus is saying, of the new covenant, okay, which is shed for many 
for the remission of sins. Hence the cross, okay? The blood of Jesus' covenant is also the foundation for our growth, the foundation for our maturity in Christ. Not only is it what he did on the cross for us and then we receive that covenant, okay? But it's the foundation of how we grow and mature in Christ, which comes from Hebrews. Go to Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight of Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. What a a benediction, huh? Blood of Jesus' covenant is also the foundation for our growth and maturity in Christ, our obedience. Remember when all the guys, you know, said to Moses, oh yeah, absolutely we'll obey, okay? Well, it's by the blood of the covenant, right? Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you see how the covenant, it's always about the covenant. It's always about the covenant. Always about the covenant. And how we respond to the covenant. Are we responding to that covenant with just a nod of the head? Have we gone to the point of maybe a verbal agreement? Or have we gone to the point of written confirmation? And then the sacrificial acts, right? And then the response. The response to that. That we receive the blood of the covenant and then we are sealed by the blood. Uh, By the nod of the head, okay? By verbal agreement, okay? Because this this is what they were doing with Moses, okay? First nod of the head, verbal agreement, spoken out loud. Then written confirmation, Moses wrote it all down. Then sacrificial acts, because there had to be a sacrificial animal. And then your response to that, how are you going to receive? You need to receive that covenant. And as you receive that covenant, you are sealed by the blood. You are sealed. It's one time thing. One time thing. Sealed by the blood. Sealed by the blood. Okay? In other words, you know, the, the blood of Christ is what cleanses us from all sin. Right? From, from all sin. And, and as we accept Him, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Right? Comes to live in us. And the Holy Spirit is our engagement ring. Until we see Him face to face. Right? He's our seal, Ephesians said. He's it. He's our seal. The blood of the covenant. And so when you see this, when you're back in, in 1 Peter, that when he says the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, when he's talking about that, he is, Peter is, is remembering the blood of the old covenant and how important it was. And now how we who are elect and are chosen, but we must respond to that, we are... We aren't perfect as we're, you know, we have to be sanctified as we're, you know, being obedient. And it's by the sprinkling of his blood that we're able to enter in to that covenant. It shows then that a covenant is formed between us, between Jesus and between us. The, co- the covenant is formed, just like Moses did at the establishment at Sinai or the old covenant. Okay, and the required sprinkling of the blood, required sprinkling of the blood now. So, so yes, dear. Who? What then is the actual definition of covenant? What's the actual definition? The actual definition of covenant. When you're talking about, I mean, I, I get the whole point, but what? Just, well, agreement. The, well, the easy, the easy definition is promise. This is God's promise. In other words, that's why he says, I can't break my covenant. I can't break my covenant. It's, it's, it's who I am. It's, it's based on who he is that it can't be broken because it's his promise. And he swears by himself. He can't deny himself because he's God. Okay, 2 Timothy. He just, he can't deny himself. And so when he makes a covenant, he makes a promise 
that this is what it's going to be. This is the only way that you can come to me. But I promise you that I'm not going to make any tricks on you. I'm not going to change it. I'm not a wishy-washy God. I'm not going to do it. Here's the promise of how I want you to enter into my separateness. Okay? I want to have a love relationship with you. Here's what needs to be done to be able to enter my holiness, my separateness. It needs to be this way, none other. But I promise you that that's how it will be from now until the end of time. It's a promise. So it's always personal. It's not always. It's, it always seems like it's for the nation. Yeah, well, that's really, that's Old Testament. That's, yeah, Old Testament. Well, Old Testament, but that's why he, had, he chose Moses to be the deliverer, to be able to write this down, to be able to show them it is for the nation, it's for the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Okay, it's for everyone, but you have to individually respond to the covenant. When you have accepted that covenant and the Holy Spirit lives in you, you want to then you know, follow after him. Now, you're always going to have the flesh, you're always going to have the spirit, okay? But what happens is, he's our seal. Alright? So you're sealed until the day of redemption, Ephesians 4 says. As you are being drawn to him, okay, continually, you draw it uh, close to him, he draws close to you. You are being conformed, Romans 8 says, to the likeness of his son. If you're not, it's because one of two things. Either you have, you're walking in unconfessed sin. You're walking in a lifestyle of unconfessed sin, so the flesh is going... Bigger and bigger and bigger in your life, and the Holy Spirit is this big. And it's and he's being quenched or squelched, the word says. Or you've never accepted him in the first place. One of two reasons. Those are the only two reasons. In Hebrew and in Greek, it lists two or three covenant, treaty, promise that it, it all has the same where it cannot be broken. Because of who he is. Not because of whom we are, but who he is. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversary. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy Mm -hmm. the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Good word, terrifying, though. In reverent fear, terrifying. It's a good thing. Unless you know God's wrath, you're never going to know God's love. Many, many churches nowadays just try, oh, God is love and forgiveness and this and that. And, uh, and you know what? He is. But he only is because he's just. He can't be more loving than he is just. He can't be more just than he is loving. Unless you know the wrath of God, they had to turn his back on his son that took the sin of the world, you're never going to know his love. He allowed us a way because Jesus is the way, truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through him because he's so separate. He's so other. Covenant is everything that has to do with our salvation. And it started in the Old Testament. I'll turn to Exodus 29 now because this is the second, the second sprinkling of blood in the Old Testament. And this is at the ordination of Aaron and his sons. I'm not going to read all of this because it's quite, you know, you, you may because it's incredibly, incredibly... Um, Interesting of how they had to go through and have ordination of Aaron and his sons as the high priest. Okay, this was the consecration of the priest. But I want you to start at uh, 19, at verse 19, 29, verse 19. Take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on its head. Slaughter it, take some of its blood, and put it on the lobes of the right ears of Aaron and his sons, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. You think God gets specific here? Then sprinkle blood against the altar on all sides. And take some of the blood on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. Then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. All right? I'm going to stop right there. All right, this is extremely 
important, okay? This is the application of blood. It's the consecration offering of the high priests. What did high priests do in the Old Testament days? What did they do? They basically, they basically took your sin, okay, your sins, and took them to God for you. They were appointed, they were consecrated by Yahweh, L-O-R-D, to be the high priest, to go between you and the Lord. They were the go-between. Now, they went into the Holy of Holies. If you've ever been to Israel, you will experience that. They will show you this. But if you've ever been to the Holy Land experience like I have in Orlando, I'm telling you, they show you the Holy of Holies like I have never experienced in my life. And I understood it. I mean, you can look at your pictures. You can see the Holy of Holies. You can see where you wash your hands. You can see all this. But they actually do as if the high priest, if they were the high priest, okay? And they slaughter an animal, I mean, not real, but I mean, they, they go through the whole action for you and they're able to see. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So the high priest is the one who is consecrated, who is appointed by God to be able to go be the go-between between you, your sin, and a holy God. And it must be done exactly how he tells you. Exactly. I mean, did you hear how he, this is what you're supposed to do here to just be consecrated to be a high priest? Wait until you hear all the stuff you have to do as a high priest. And if you did not do it exactly like he told you, guess what would happen to you inside the Holy Holies? Zorched. Gone. That's it. You're done. You know why? Because it's my way or the highway. That's it. It's my way. You must follow it. And literally, that's why they would put a rope around the high priest's ankle as he walked in and if he got zorched they were able to pull him out because if you went in for him you'd get zorched too I mean that's how that's how important it is that there's only one way to God the Father that's why our high priest now is whom? Jesus Jesus is our high priest there's no other man among except Jesus he's our high priest he's it that's why the veil when Jesus died what happened? The veil was torn in two. What was the veil? Between where? The curtain between the holy and the holy of holies. Whoosh, ripped. Top to bottom, wasn't it? Six inches thick. is that amazing? I just thought. But because this is it now. It's just through Jesus. There doesn't have to be any other high priest, okay? But I want you to see that how important this is that there had to be a consecration of the high priest back then, okay? The sprinkling of the blood. He said, take the other ram. That means there had been another ram that was already slaughtered, okay? But they took this other ram and Aaron and his sons put their hands on the head of the ram, okay? Now, atonement. What does atonement mean? Atonement for sin. Covering, excellent. Covering for sin. At one minute, covering. Atonement for sin was performed with the sin offering and the burnt offering. That was before. They have already done that in Exodus 29, if you want to read it. They've already done that atonement one with all the ram, all the different ones. They have done the atonement, the covering for sin. The high priests have already done that before their consecration time. All right? So, however, with this ram in their consecration time, the priests had to still identify with the sacrificial victim. Okay? They still had to identify with the sacrificial victim during their consecration. Okay? And this identification, this with that sacrifice for their sin, went beyond atonement. The one ram was for atonement, okay? It was for sin offering, burnt offering. So God would look at that and he would cover over that sin. Cover over it. Not forgiven at that point. Cover over. He would choose to say, this is the way my covenant works and, that, and therefore I will look away from it. I will cover over it, Okay? Not until Jesus was at all forgiven. Okay? I will cover over. Quote, unquote. I mean, if you want to look at it, it's that, but atonement means he covers over. Okay. All right? And so, in the consecration now, 
the priests still had to identify with the sacrificial victim that had given their life for their sin. And their identification with the sacrifice went beyond atonement. So, God is saying, kill the ram, take some of its blood during this consecration time, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron. Is this great? God like gets so specific. God is in the details of your life. Does that surprise you? This should tell you. If you read Leviticus and Exodus, he is in the details of your life. He will tell you, no, Margo, go this way. I will make your crooked plaz straight, right? This is what he's going to do. So put it on the right ear of Aaron. Now, this is to express the idea of consecration. You take the blood from the ram, it's placed on the ear, it was placed on the thumb, it was placed on the toe of the priest. Ear, thumb, toe. It was the blood of the ram, not the wool of the ram, not the fat of the ram, the blood. Why the blood again? Life. That represents life. It was the blood from the ram because God wanted the life of the sacrificial victim to mark his consecrated priests. Are you following me? He wanted the life of the sacrificial victim to mark his consecrated priests. To consecrate them. The blood would be consecrated. Of the sacrifice would mark them. Once again, Leviticus 17.11, right? The life of the flesh is in the blood. So God wanted the life of the sacrificial victim to be evident, to be evident in the body of the priest. Okay, so tip of the right ear, right ear, tip of the right ear, thumb of the right hand, toe of the right foot. So now these consecrated priests are stained, they're stained, okay, with the blood of sacrifice. They're stained with that. They should hear differently. They should hear differently. Blood on the, on the right lobe. They should hear differently, okay? They should work differently. Blood on the thumb. They should hear differently. They should work differently. They should walk differently. Blood on the toe, okay? They should walk differently. Okay, and it was specified, it was on the right ear, right thumb, and right toe, okay? It's not that God didn't, you know, couldn't do whatever he wanted, you know, that they could do anything they wanted to do with their left ear, left, you know, thumb, and left toe. That is not what that means, okay? It's because the right side was always considered superior, righteous, always. Where does Jesus sit right now? Right hand of God the Father interceding for us, always considered the more strength, the more skill, the righteous side. Most people are right-handed. God wanted their best, their right side, their best to be dedicated to him. So that's why they were stained. That's why they were marked with that. Then he says, okay, now remember, now they're marked. Okay. Then he says, you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the what? That oil. Excellent. Anointing oil. Not only blood are marking these high priests, but the anointing oil, okay? And sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments. Okay, so the blood alone wasn't enough, all right? God wanted blood mixed with oil to, and have that mixture sprinkled on the priests. That's the combination. The blood is the sacrifice. And the anointing oil is what? The spirit. Is the spirit. It's always represented as the spirit. Anointing oil. Oil is always the Old Testament represented as the spirit. The spirit. The spirit. The spirit. So now you've got the blood of Jesus. All right? Right? The blood or the sacrificial lamb for the, or ram for the sin. Okay? And you've got the oil, the anointing oil, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit. And this is what Charles, sweet Charles Spurgeon says. Yes, brethren, we need to know that double anointing, the blood of Jesus which cleanses, and the oil of the Holy Spirit which perfumes us. Did you hear that? We need to know that double anointing, the blood of Jesus which cleanses, and the oil of the Holy Spirit which perfumes us. It is well to see how these two blend in one. It is a terrible blunder to set the blood and the oil in opposition. They must always go together. They must always go together. Did you see? That's just a little tiny part 
of the sprinkling of the blood of the ordination of Aaron and his sons, the consecration of the priests, of the high priests that would be able to stand between our sin and take it to God, Yahweh God. Once again, back to 1 Peter, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to see where the old covenant started and the new covenant. It's always the sprinkling of the blood. Lastly, I want you to go to Leviticus. Just 1 through 9. Okay, because this is the purification ceremony. Talk about detail again for a cleansed leper. So here's what goes on. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, personal God, said to Moses, These are the regulations for the diseased person at the time of his ceremonial cleansing when he is brought to the priest. The priest is to go outside the camp and examine him. If the person has been healed of his infectious skin disease, the priest shall order that two live, clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the one to be cleansed. Then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over fresh water in a clay pot. He is then to take the live bird and dip it, together with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop, into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to the cleanse of the infectious disease and pronounce him clean. Then he is to release the live bird into the open fields. The person to be cleansed must wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and bathe with water. Then he will be ceremonially clean. After this, he may come into the camp, but he must stay outside his tent for seven days. On the seventh day, he must shave off all his hair, he must shave his head, his beard, his eyebrows, and the rest of his hair. He must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water, and he will be clean. And this is the sacrifice for a cleansed leper. This is the sacrifice for a cleansed leper. The priest shall command to take him, who is to be cleansed, two living clean birds. Okay, a sacrifice. Two living clean birds. In this cleansing ceremony, one bird uh, was what? Killed in an earthen vessel, in like a pot, in pottery. Over what? Running water. And its blood was applied to the living bird. One bird was killed, sacrificed, in an earthen vessel, over running water, and its blood was applied to a li- the living bird. It was applied also to some cedar wood, the blood was sprinkled, and it was also sprinkled on scarlet fabric, and to some hyssop. So it had to be sprinkled on all these things. God, Yahweh, said, this is the way that this leper can be cleansed. No other way, this is it. And it's through sacrificial blood again. Then using those things, the blood was sprinkled on the leper. After sprinkling him on those objects, then the blood was sprinkled on the leper. So then the living bird was let go. Then the living bird was let go. As I'm studying this, now we go to 1 Peter, sprinkling of the blood of Christ, right? Sprinkling of Jesus' blood, right? This is a picture, right? It's a picture, it seems to be a picture of Jesus' death and its spiritual application, okay? Because a heavenly being, where does a bird live? Right? In the sky, in the heavenlies, okay? In the heavenlies, okay? Dies in an earthen vessel, while remaining clean because it's clean because of the running water. Okay? It remains clean. That's why it had to be sacrificed under the running water. And the death of the bird is associated with blood and water. And the blood is connected with life, which is applied to the living bird. Right? Blood is connected with life, and it's applied to the living bird. And then it's applied to the one who is cleansed. Exactly why I stepped in the side. The blood and the water that poured from his side. The blood and the water had to pour from his side. Running water was anything that wasn't stagnant. It's just like all through Psalms, like Psalm 23, where it says, "The leads you beside still waters." Okay, what happens is, is sheep don't like still waters. Okay, sheep won't even drink from still waters. All right, they they like drinking from running waters. It's fresh. It's fresh. It's new. It's fresh. It's pure. Something that's it's running. It ha- it can't just be stagnant. The cedar wood, all right, it was also put on cedar wood. Cedar wood is extremely uh, resistant to disease. It's resistant to rot. 
Okay, and and perhaps those are the you know reasons of using cedar wood as well as a symbolic reference to the wood of the cross. Many uh, think that the cross that Jesus was crucified on was cedar, was cedar wood. We don't know that for sure. (laughs) There's a lot of cedar around there. And so then the connection with hyssop, where's the connection with that? Jesus was offered a drink from a hyssop branch on the cross. Matthew 27, 48 will tell you that. He was offered a drink from the hyssop branch branch on the cross. And then I was studying this and I thought, you know what, do you remember when David said, um, purge me with hyssop? Do you remember he said that in Psalm? I think it was in Psalm 51. Is that his repentance? That's his repentance, right? 51. Purge me with hyssop. Right? Purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Okay. He, you know what he was doing right there? He was admitting that he was as bad and uncleansed as a leper. Because this is the cleansing of the leper. This is what you needed to do to have the cleansing of the leper. And David, I always wondered why he, why he said that. And as I'm reading, I went back and forth, purging with hyssop. That's how you could be cleansed as a leper. So he's saying, you know what, I'm just as bad as that leper. Is there any possible way that a leper can be cleansed other than this? No. No. And it's the same way. He's like... I can't be cleansed any other way. And I am just as bad as that leper. Right? So that is just a, a little tiny snapshot on showing you the sprinkling of the blood. Okay, At the end he says, he'll shave off all of his hair. Remember after the seven days this says, right? he shaves off his hair. Shaves off what? Beard. Shaves off what? Eyebrows. I mean, he's shaving off everything. Okay, So after the sacrificial ceremony with the birds... With the birds, the cleansed leper had to wash his clothes, wash his clothes, shave off all of his hair, and guess what? He was able to start all over again as a brand new baby. No hair, no beard, no eyebrows, nothing. Brand new baby. Born again. Born again. He's born again. What an illustration of being born again. A completely new start. Completely new start. You're a new creation. Old is gone. Behold, everything is new. That's what the sprinkling of the blood does for us. That's it. That's what the sprinkling of the blood does for us. Whether it's the establishment at Sinai and the covenant, okay. whether it's the ordination of Aaron and his sons, whether it's the cleansing of the leper, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus accomplishes the same things in our life. The exact same things in our life. First, a covenant is formed, just like with Moses. Covenant is formed. Then we're ordained priests to him, just like Aaron. We're ordained priests to him. And finally, we are cleansed, just like the leper, from our corruption and from our sin. Whoa! Do you see that? Old Testament sprinkling of the blood. New Testament sprinkling of the blood of Christ on us. What a picture. What a picture. You guys, that is not cheap grace. That is not cheap grace. That is amazing grace. Amazing grace. Because we are to then live being sanctified and obedient in the power of the Holy Spirit. How could we not? How could we not? How could we not? Each one of those things I just mentioned is ours through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Each one of those. Through the sprinkling of his blood. That's why you go back and you look at what happened in the Old Testament. Old Testament foretells, New Testament reveals. It reveals. But that's why. That's why. When you see... What the sprinkling of the blood all the way through, from Genesis all the way through, uh, is you fall on your face. You absolutely fall on your face because the blood is the life stream. Is the life stream. And that's what he did for us on the cross. And, and, I, and I'm so thankful. God stops me and says, you know, Margo, this isn't, you know, the sprinkling of the blood isn't just about Jesus. It's about my covenant since the beginning of time. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful to live in this grace age compared to imagine living 
in the Old Testament age. Imagine living like that. Imagine that. Where you had to do exactly, 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 exactly. But it's all by faith. Because you believe that if you do this, what will happen? You're counted as what? Righteous. Right? You're one of the chosen. Absolutely. That you're counted as righteous. So no matter if it's now by faith, it's then by faith. You're counted as righteous. And so, and so it's so easy for us. In the Old Testament days, it wasn't as easy to walk disobediently, was it? This is the way you walk. Now walk ye in it. I mean, this is absolutely what it took to come to the point of having atonement for your sin. Now, they still did because they are human, right? They still did. But it took that shedding of blood. It took all these different... When you read the sacrifices, you know, of the oxen and the ram and the birds and the timing, and this is for this sacrifice, this is for this sin, this is for this. It's an amazing account of what they had to do to continue to be counted as righteous. Okay, And so that is just like our salvation, that we are sealed until the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. But you're saved once. You are keeping on being saved until your completion of salvation is in heaven. That's salvation. That's salvation. No wonder Peter needed to tell him this. Remember, these people had come to Christ. These people had known all this stuff, right? Right? No wonder he needed to tell them it was always a sprinkling of the blood. Go back to First uh, Peter. When you're reading and you're sharing with others, you can now share and tell them when he says to God's elect, meaning us as chosen, however we need to respond, and we learned about the response, didn't we? The nod, the verbal, the, the uh, written, right? The sacrifice. The response to the sacrifice and how we receive receive that, all right? To God's elect, strangers in the world, etc., who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. That sprinkling by His blood is key to all of 1 Peter because that is is grace. In fact, the very key to all of 1 Peter is from 1 Peter 5 12. With the help of Silas whom I regard as a faithful brother I have written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God stand fast in it. True grace of God stand fast in it. Let's end in prayer. Lord God, we just thank you that that you went to the depth and height and breadth and width to show us your love. And may we respond not with just a nod of the head and not with just a verbal agreement, not with just writing it down, not with just sacrificing, but responding and receiving the blood of the covenant. Lord, make that so real to us, so real to us as we walk, that it would cause us to, uh, even though we're not perfect, but that we can become holy and be more and more like you and be sanctified and become pure and become more and more like you than we were the day before and to uh, respond to you because it so pleases you in our obedience. Lord, I thank you that 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 stream, that life-giving stream of blood runs through your whole word. And I thank you, Lord, that... uh, required sacrifice and that you were willing to step out of eternity into time to take it once and for all. So it doesn't have to be any covering anymore. It's total forgiveness. Because you took it all. Lord, really, um, just extra measure of faith, God, just just allow us to... to, uh, 
believe the unseen and see you more and more and allow that uh, negative truth that we have uh, been taught by you today, God, just to go deeper and deeper and deeper in us and let us share with others, Lord, on, uh, on what it means to us. So give us doors of opportunity. Give us doors to be able to walk through, Lord. I mean, we just want to please you here because we're going to want to please you there. So, Jesus, we, we praise you. We praise you for um, making a grand plan and having us little dust balls be a part of that. And so, Lord, I can hardly wait to see you face to face. Until then, Lord, may we live so that others are wanting to have what we have, and that's you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.